Welcome to State House Soundbites, WITF's Pennsylvania politics podcast. I'm Katie Meyer, State Capitol Bureau Chief for WITF. Uh, you can hear my reports on public radio stations across the state. And with me today are Paul Knudsen and Sam Janish of the Caucus and LNP Lancaster uh, Papers, and Wallace McKelvey of the of, I was going to say Pittsburgh Post Gazette. That's not where you're from. <laughs> of Penn Live. What's Penn up, Penn Live and the Patriot News. Penn Live and the Patriot <laughs> News. Um, hey guys, thanks for coming. Yeah. On this, uh, we're change of pace. We're doing this on a Monday instead. But uh, still, lots to talk about. Um, first off, I want to just kind of recap what's happened with the legislature in the last week. They, uh, they left town. They went home in a blaze of glory, as they do. Uh, and they left a couple things undone. Well, we, you know, I think everyone in the Capitol last week saw some protesters milling about, kind of looking dejected. Um, one of the things that didn't get done was the redistricting reform that had been pushed pretty hard by a number of groups. Um, we also saw a press conference on Monday about um, gun reform related to protection from abuse orders. So some sad folks on Monday when the House left, and it looks like they're probably not coming back until yeah. September. That is what it looks like. And uh, other than that, I mean, there's nothing really that can bring them back. So for all intents and purposes, this means the redistricting reform push is no more, at least for the next 10 years, because it's not going to happen in time for the next redistricting in 2021. So that's where we are on that. Um, So some unhappiness, not a whole lot of a way to get them back into the building. Um, so we're turning our attention now that it's summer and we're in recess to some other important matters. Um, Wallace, I want to get, you've had a, like a big expose on water quality, so we're going to get to that in the latter half. But first, uh, Paula and Sam, you noticed something. Well, I think all of us have noticed this uh, phenomenon in the Capitol. Uh, there's just a lot of food everywhere on tables all the time. What is that about? Well, you know, uh, last summer we wrote a good bit about the lieutenant governor's food expenses. and we did. He also got voted out. We heard a lot of reader feedback that people were interested in that coverage. And one of the things that happened um, was that um, Representative Metcalf held a hearing last summer on those food expenses. And some people said to us, well, that's interesting um, that they're having a hearing on the lieutenant governor. They have their own food expenses. So we looked at that. Yes. And Sam, what did you guys find? So we, uh, through a right-to-know request, selected um, receipts for pretty much all, all the lawmakers in the House. Uh, we're still waiting on some from the Senate. And what we found was that through the in-house caterer at the Capitol, the cafeteria of people, it's called C&J Catering, they spent about $75,000 last year combined. And, um, you know, thousands more from outside caterers and areas, uh, restaurants in the Harrisburg area, restaurants in the districts for constituent events, committee meetings, um, you know, legislative school kids, school kids right. uh, visiting the Capitol, right. championship teams coming up. Um, so, you know, when you add it all up, it's, it's a good amount of money. It's, it's a small amount in terms of the total pot, you know, sure. but, you know. What but we, it's, it's a significant portion even of, like, I mean, they all have legislative budgets. And so this is a chunk of change out of that. They, they each, what we were interested to learn on the House side is that they have these things called accountable accounts, mm-hmm. leading you to wonder, are the other accounts not accountable? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, what does that mean? Did apparently they can, out of this $20,000, they can spend on whatever kind of food they want. They, they can't spend on liquor. Okay. Um, but they could buy cheese puffs, uh, pizza, 
you know, take right. your pick. It right. also includes office supplies, so we were seeing things like, you know, uh, what, uh, cleaning for, you know, certain things in their offices right. or, or just... You know, uh, what, whatever. But um, you know, so, a lot of it was food. Okay. And Paul, you said so they have a twenty thousand um, dollar budget. That's just for the, the House Republican, right? House, and and like, then on the Senate side, they have um, forty thousand dollars only out of twenty some thousand can they spend on food. But okay. for each chamber, there's a lot of food spending on pizzerias, the Old Town Deli across from the Capitol, Jimmy John's. Um, oh my God. you know, kind of take Jimmy your Jimmy John's delivers. Yeah, that's right. Take your pick of yeah. Capitol restaurants and they're eating the food. And what we found interesting is sometimes it wasn't identified who was eating the food. So mm-hmm. for instance, we found about seventy four hundred dollars worth of what were called leadership lunches with um, Senator Scarnati's office, okay. and it just said thirty meals, um, and it was identified who was eating the food. So he could have been feeding anyone. Yeah, and, um, and a lot of the time it didn't even say leadership lunches. It would just be a receipt, you know, oh, no purpose explained, um, or even the number of people. So not a lot of oversight on all this food. But I want to. So are the caucuses? So the Republicans and Democrats, they're all like their foods paid for from the same pot here. It's all just no. There's a, there's oh. many different pots, and okay. I think that'll take some more exploration down the road. Right, um, right. But, you know, one thing that we were interested in is there's the per diems, too. So don't forget right. that in addition to these various accounts, each legislator has the ability to get a per diem. And we asked the House chief clerk, well, what happens if um, someone goes to a breakfast sponsored by a lobbying firm and then they go to a lunch, yeah. um, you know, with a fellow senator and then they have a committee dinner in the evening? They've spent no money on food. They ate freely all day. Um, and Redcliffe told us that it's the honor system. Interesting. So they're not supposed to take the per diem if they ate for free all that day, or is that how it works? They're because not, they get the per diem regardless, right? They can. Okay. They, they don't need to, and a lot of lawmakers don't. You know, okay. especially in the last ten years, right, I think, right, right. Um, since the since the pay raise, okay. um, they kind of disavow them. But you know, even the ones that disavow them can use their accountable accounts right. to you know buy food for their constituents and take some of that or you know, through their committees. Now, um, was there anything specific that you saw that you were like, what the heck? Who bought this? Well, we do have to mention there was, um, you know, everybody's probably getting ready for their 4th of July picnics and um, going to be eating this week. We saw some really interesting menu items. The one that really stood out to us was something called a Polish mistake. Oh, God. And we all looked at each other and said, what is that? Um, Representative Lee James had that um, at a chamber mixer. He had water uh, water chestnuts wrapped in bacon, oh. fruit kebabs, and some other items, and then this thing called a Polish mistake. And we um, looked it up, and it appears to be ground meat with um, cheese, maybe on rye bread. Okay. So maybe a like dish a for this, this week's festivities. <laughs> That's an interesting menu just all around, the water chestnuts wrapped in bacon. I've never had yeah. that. As a, as a Polak, I have had the Polish <laughs> You have? Okay, we haven't in our reporting process. We've never talked to anyone. Tell us about it. <laughs> like most Polish food, it is very fatty and very heavy and just and delicious. It, you so. think it's a disrespectful description of food? Is it offensive to you? Maybe the Polish people did make it by accident, but then it turned out good. Um, so it, it's just ground beef and cheese on, like, rye bread? Yeah, well, uh, that describes a lot of Polish cuisine. Okay. <laughs> so. 
Good point. Good point. And then the standout one, Sam. Do you want to? Yeah. Talk so about that? the. the the amounts of these receipts kind of run the gamut, but um, the biggest one that we were able to find um, were two receipts in the same month for Representative Kate Harper, okay, um, a Republican from Montgomery County. Montgomery County, and yeah. um, so these are two events that she has annually: uh, uh, constituent breakfasts, and um, they're so they're between the two two events, they're eight thousand dollars, four thousand wow. each. Um, at a uh, at the William Penn Inn, which, okay, uh, is kind of a more luxurious spot than yeah. maybe some of these other places, and um, you know she said she gets like two hundred people, or she invites two hundred people, or she gets two hundred yeah. people. Um, but you know, a lot of a lot of lawmakers have these kind of little, you know, it's ice cream socials or yes. it's uh, uh, lunches with municipal leaders yeah. um, or big constituent gatherings like this and this was the biggest one we found kate harper living large um and speaking of ice cream socials you guys were mentioning before we started talking there's one coming up yeah so um a lot of lawmakers have them you know i cover brian cutler uh in southern lancaster county who's also the house whip and um he has an ice cream social coming up it's kind of a thing that he, he normally has he actually has a uh, line item in the expenses that he publishes online that says ice cream social. Interesting. And Brian Cutler's also in talks. I mean, there's no official anything on this yet, but like people have brought up his name as somebody who could be House Majority Leader. So uh, that's another thing. If you want to get people on board, have an ice cream social. Yeah. When we talked to, we did an interview with Reed, Leader Reed, of, yeah. I don't know, maybe a month or so ago and asked him about who's next and he mentioned Cutler's name. Yeah, he's so. the only one I've really heard his name be brought up. So it'll be interesting. Um, all right. Any other takeaways from this food expose? No, I think, you know, we love looking at receipts at the caucus, yeah. so look for more uh, food-related reporting from us later in the year. If anybody has any tips, you can always um, give us a shout-out at tips at caucuspa.com. Awesome. Send Paula and Sam digging through trash cans, please. <laughs> <laughs> That's and the, what they're here for. What was the top-line number again? The for the, So for just C&J, when you go to the Capitol Cafeteria, that was about 74. Four, five thousand, um, and we still don't have a, a number for all the outside catering right. because we're waiting on the Senate. And that's got to be more expensive too. Yeah. yeah, there were there were more receipts that we got from outside the Capitol, and we just almost didn't have time to add them all up. Right. So, so we believe once we get that back in, it's it will be well over six figures, um, and that's one year of spending. Yeah, one year. All right, hey, lawmakers got to eat, I guess. Um, cool, guys, that's really interesting. And now um, we also have another. Uh, expose of a different nature, less appetizing. Because yeah, um, we, we all got a drink. We all got a drink as well. <laughs> right? <Yeah>. So <laughs> when you uh, finish eating your uh, taxpayer-funded meals on top of your per diems, you can wash it down with some Susquehanna River water. Um, Wallace, what? Uh, how long have you been working on this thing, and what's it all about? So to, to give you a little background, this all started uh, in December of 2016 when the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, sent a letter to the State Department of Environmental Protection, the DEP, saying that they were risking public health by failing to properly inspect and oversee our public drinking water systems. So currently, as, as, as of the most updated figures I have, we have 41 full-time drinking water inspectors and then another about 20 trainees who are not, most of them are not yet ready to actually inspect a, a water system. So 41 um, for 8,500 drinking water systems statewide. Wow. it's a lot of just, work. <laughs> just the, the sheer 
you know, the, the EPA said mathematically it is impossible for Pennsylvania to adequately oversee its drinking water systems. Yeah. And this is important because you know, if, if, you, if you know nothing else about drinking water, you're probably familiar with the troubles in Flint, Michigan. And everyone I talk to says it's, it, this is basically, a, you know, it, it's only a matter of time, and arguably we already have it in the form of Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Um, there are parts of Pittsburgh where the lead levels are actually higher than those recorded in Flint, Michigan. Right. Um, and that's because of older pipelines, right? Well, it, it's due to another number of things there. You know, they have an aging infrastructure, not just the pipes, but virtually everything there. They have not invested properly. Uh, And, you know, it it wasn't until the mid-1980s that we actually banned lead in drinking water pipes. So there are uncounted miles of of water pipes that are made of lead. And lead's a big problem because it leads to developmental uh, disorders, lower IQ, uh, you know, and and, uh, just countless health problems in people, especially vulnerable people, especially children. Um, And the, the cost to actually fix all this problem you know, statewide, the EPA estimates that we need $16.8 billion in the next 20 years just to get at, like, a baseline level of adequacy right. in our drinking water systems. That does not include replacing all the lead pipes, for example, which could cost – there are a number of estimates, but it could cost $10 billion more. Mm. Um, so in the context of that, in the context of all these water systems struggling to meet the re- basic requirements – struggling to pro- properly treat you know lead properly treat other kinds of bacteria that lead to uh, kind of gastrointestinal problems uh, making sure that there aren't carcinogens in the water uh, in the context of all these problems with the systems themselves it's really troubling that the DEP is so understaffed and it's understaffed because we've gone through a decade of budget cuts at the DEP. And it hasn't just affected drinking water, it's affected everything they do. But drinking water is one of those issues that hits you in your gut because, I mean, what do we do? Like, I'm sure that the coffee I'm currently drinking... Yeah, good sound, Wallace. I'm I'm all about the sound. Uh, I'm sure that it was made from local drinking water. And we're fortunate in Harrisburg. We actually do have... You know, comparatively, we have good quality drinking water in Harrisburg. Mm. But you don't have to go very far to find problems. Next door in Stilton, they've had all sorts of problems with their drinking water. There, there were high levels of these carcinogens called trihalomethanes. And they're basically a, a byproduct of treatment with chlorine, where they don't properly, they don't slow the process down enough, and these carcinogens develop in the water and go out to people. Um, that's one we know about because it was caught in a DEP inspection, mm. these problems. Uh, in Stilton, you know, there was actually falsification of records. They went a number of months where uh, a sensor that was recording levels of this a specific contaminant was broken. And so it was not recording data. And after the fact, the DEP discovered that, oh, heck, the operator basically sent erroneous data. They were just like fudging it because the thing was broken. Yeah. yeah. And and there and you know 
it's not just the Pittsburghs and the Seatons either. You know, 8,500 drinking water systems, that also encompasses schools, campgrounds, hotels, apartment complexes. It, you know, I went to several really small systems. Mm. Uh, for example, Beaver Brook is up in Luzerne County. It's a neighborhood of about 200 people, old coal mining community. And they're responsible for almost everything that a larger system would be responsible for. They live in constant fear of a water main break because it could leave them on the hook for thousands of dollars in un- unmetered water loss and also the cost to repair whatever breaks. And they don't have the money to do that when you only have 200 people there. Um, there is another system nearby where you know they, they weren't even on DEP's radar. And this happens more often than like you DEP would hope. Like DEP loses track of an entire system. Yeah, uh, yeah and, and like DEP, uh, Pennsylvania, we've only, we had our first drinking water law, like I think 1905, I might be wrong, but it was somewhere around that era. Okay. And, you know, in terms of kind of like the modern DEP mm. and our modern safe drinking water laws all came out in the 70s. Um, and they came out in response to a number of disasters, quite frankly, uh, you know, public health disasters. And, and a lot of the people I'm talking to, like, I actually talked to some of the drinking water inspectors themselves, and they, they point out all these problems that they've had to deal with where they might, you know, assuming they get to a drinking water system and they catch something, well, then they have to file a notice of violation. But they've often found that those notices of violation, number one, the water system may or may not respond to it because if the water if the water system is severely underfunded they may not even have the money to address the problem mm-hmm. and then there's never any follow-up on the state end you know, are some of these authorities run by local water and sewer authorities they they run the gamut but yeah that's what we're talking about uh, so for example steelton they have a borough authority that that manages their water system and they're actually, they've gotten to the point where they're considering privatization right now. And there, there are, there's reason to be concerned even if you're on a private water system or if a system that's managed by a private company. Mm. In Pittsburgh, part of their lead issue came um, shortly after they, and stop me if I get too deep into the weeds, but when you know you have lead pipes, you need to do something called corrosion control. And so that's basically adding chemicals into the water that will bind to the lead pipes themselves okay. and stop the lead from flaking off and getting into your drinking water and coming out your faucet. Well, they, they uh, uh, several years ago, Pittsburgh basically changed the process to try to save money, and that led to some, some issues, and DEP eventually caught on and said, hey, you need to address this right now. And they ended up issuing a fine. And the fine was based in part on the money that that Pittsburgh was trying to save by switching to this less effective version of corrosion control. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess I'm going to break in. So Wallace, bottom line... (laughs) Start me talking, I'll tell everything I know. (laughs) Just through the gamut. So bottom line, when you came out of this reporting project, is your takeaway that, like, the first issue is that the DEP needs more funding for additional people to oversee this process? Like, what's what's the first I, I issue? I don't think you can separate the two issues. Sure, sure. Um, they, are, they are 
will forever be tied together. Sure. One issue is we are not paying enough for our water, period. Mm-hmm. And many of these systems are not prepared to actually deliver clean water. You know, they have... Uh, uh, there have been cases of fraud. There have been cases of abuse. There have been cases of... Um, in, you know, po- often it's politicians that are involved in this if they are municipal uh, systems. Mm-hmm. And, you know, let's face it, we don't pay much attention to our drinking water. We take it for granted. Yeah. And that means that it because it's not on anyone's radar, it's very easy to say, oh, you know, oh, oh we, we, we need to fix this. Uh, let's wait a couple years. We don't want to raise the rates on our customers because that might reflect badly on us. Or in cases like Stilton or Beaver Brook, they legitimately do not have the cash okay. to do anything. You know, Stilton, uh, similar to Pittsburgh, they have a high level of poverty. Mm. Um, and their main economic force is a, a steel mill that has been contracting over the course of decades. Sure. So they don't have the money to actually make all the changes that they need to make. And then on the other side, you know, if, if you are not properly funding the DEP, then inevitably when problems come up at these systems that are grossly underfunded themselves, then you really don't know. Like one of the, one of the inspectors said this to me, you know, with water quality, we don't know what we don't know. If right. we're not getting out to inspect them, then we don't know for sure what's going on in these water systems. Now, with like, so let's take it from the legislature's perspective. Like, is there... Actually, I'm going to ask a different question. So um, when did this underfunding of the DEP start? Was it just like during the recession? Was it 10 years ago? Was it more? It, it I mean, depends on who you ask, but, mm. but arguably it started around the time of the recession. Okay. It started with like the last budget of the Rendell era, right. which... The 2009 one where they yeah, passed it in October. Where, where they, they, they ended up kind of cutting it pretty severely. And then those cuts persisted through the successive budgets during the Corbett years. And during the Wolf years, you know, the, the, his proposed budgets have incrementally increased the, the budget of the state DEP, but it's been very small increases, and they barely even kept pace with inflation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it, we, we haven't done much to try to rebuild this regulatory authority that the state should have. And I need to point this out, too, because it's something we often forget. Every Pennsylvanian has a constitutional right to clean, pure water. Mm. It was written into the state constitution in the 1970s. So if you, you know, if you believe that right is not being upheld, you have the right to sue. And so now when you bring that up, because so, I know when there is a problem, especially on this scale in Pennsylvania, or I'm assuming in other states... Sometimes it's not fixed until there is a disaster and then there's a lawsuit, like, you know, and they can, people can then say, you violated my constitutional right. It, does that look to you, I mean, I'm going to ask you literally for your opinion because you've done so much reporting on this, is that the direction we're going in? It depends if, if someone files a suit and they have the wherewithal to take it to the highest possible court. Sure. I mean, but it is, yeah. does it look like there is any will to fix the problem beyond that? So the recently, in the recently. last year or yeah. so, the Wolf administration has been trying to hire more inspectors. Um, they recently did, they got an increase in this most recent budget, and they are on a path to hire 17 new inspectors okay. this year. 
Now, the problem is it takes about two years for a new hire because most of them are straight out of college. Very few of them have any practical experience in all of the very technical science that you need to know as a drinking water inspector, plus the practical stuff of what you do when you visit a system and so forth. So it's going to take a while for these new hires to come up to speed. There's also some question about whether the Wolf Administration's plan is adequate. Mm. Um, most of the people I've talked to say, no, it's not adequate. It, they need more than 17. Yeah, the national average uh, of drinking water systems per inspector is 67. And how many do we have? Right now, it's, I mean, it's, a, mo- it's a fungible number. <laughs> but the goal of the Wolf Administration after all these hires is 100 to 125. Yikes. And the drinking water inspectors themselves, you know, they, they've told me that's not adequate. And it also doesn't account for reality. Uh, when you have a major issue at a water system, whether it's Stilton or Pittsburgh or anywhere else, that takes up a lot of time. And also these inspectors, it's not like they are just, it's not like they go out and they do one inspection and they're done. Right. They also, ha- they, they periodically should be checking up with these people. They also have a responsibility to help train staff at the water systems themselves. Because you have to remember, most of them are very tiny. Like, something to the effect of, uh, like, 75 to 80% of those water systems serve fewer than 300 people. And those systems do not have the expertise or the money to, to do to do much. And you said there's 800-some systems in all? No, no, no. 8,500. 8,500. 8,500. Glad yes. I clarified that. Um, okay. So yeah. There's a ton of them. <laughs> uh, all right. So now I, I would say going forward. Um, so the Wolf Administration has this little plan in place. Uh, they Some people do not think it's enough. Are there other states that you can look to or that Pennsylvania can look to that maybe have a similar system in place that uh, have done a better job or have fixed something similar? I mean, Michigan will give us a few will hopefully instruct us on one hand of what not to do. Sure. And also some specific cities in Michigan have responded well. For example, I believe Ann Arbor, um, they ended up replacing all of their lead pipes. So that might give us some guidance on what to do about lead. Mm -hmm. D.C., uh, Washington, D.C., also embarked on major water quality um, kind of response, a program to replace lead pipes and make sure that everyone in D.C. had clean water. That has been somewhat successful. Um, But there aren't that many kind of... uh, This is a nationwide problem. Sure, It's a Pennsylvania-wide problem. It's also a nationwide problem. And if you look, like, there have been major problems in Puerto Rico, obviously before the storm. Yeah. um, Major problems in Texas. And also, and I think rightfully so... um, uh, Lisa Daniels, who who heads the state drinking water program, has said to me, well, the 67 uh, systems per inspector may not be realistic because there are a lot of states that have very few drinking water systems. And that, honestly, given the amount of money that is being made available for this, you can, you can kind of sympathize with that. Sure. Well, I also wanted to ask, because it sounds like Pennsylvania, and I don't know, maybe we're not above the average, but it sounds like we have an awful lot of very Oh, small we are way systems. far Okay, so that average. is accurate. Yeah. So then, I mean, is there anything to, like, have there been states who, that have started getting rid of these small, like, highly parochial water systems? Have they started consolidating at all? Is that a thing that can happen? I'll be honest with you. I don't know. Okay. Um, 
but but like a lot of things in Pennsylvania, like a lot of our proliferation of school districts mm. and of municipalities, uh, it, it is a mess. And 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 <laughs> like the a lot of things in Pennsylvania and the, the legality of it too. You know, if if you were going to try to consolidate all these systems, yeah. how would you do it? Well, that's given the, given the massive question, amount yeah. of debt that these systems and and the cost to run these systems. Who is going to be in any kind of shape to absorb that that kind of investment? Um, you look at Steelton. They're right now. They're in the. They're trying to, to private. Well, they're not trying, but they're exploring their options to privatize. Okay. Uh, and they're you know there there are two sides to that coin. If you get a private operator to come in, they can spread the costs off out across a wider customer base, mm-hmm. so that. Arguably, will will make it more feasible to make these upgrades, but then again, private companies also have a very mixed track record when it comes to protecting public health. Do they have the same amount of oversight that a state? Yes, run? they do. Okay, but then again, Pennsylvania's oversight has been extremely lax. <laughs> right. You see how this is like you, right, right, right. you 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 talk about one thing and then inevitably it leads to problems to some in something else. Right. Okay. So, uh, bottom line, it sounds like, I mean, I'm just thinking, like, what are the uh, forces at work that could convince state lawmakers to at least put more funding into, you know, DEP oversight? And right now, we just had a budget where the economy's been as good as it's been in literally a decade, and we put almost no new spending into anything. We put some into education, a couple other little things that we had to spend money on, like pensions. But, you know, it was a very, almost like cost-to-carry budget, and now... We get into this thing where we have huge issues in areas of the state. The economy's fine. We're not investing more money. I mean, what will it take? Uh, the biggest thing, I think, is people need to pay attention to their water. Yeah. Period. Because we do not. We do not pay attention to what's coming through our taps. And we do that at our peril. Um, the biggest thing, and, and we see it, there was a tremendous mobilization around redistricting. Mm. I think what it will, what it will take is a tremendous mobilization around drinking water. Uh, people need to pay attention. If, if you go to, we have a whole website devoted to the series. It's water.penlive.com. You feel free to don't you don't have to read all the stories, but <laughs> but scroll down to the solutions page, read through it. Uh, I also did a video uh, where I walk you through how to use the state database. We have an interactive graphic where, you know, believe it or not, some people don't even know who they get their water from. So we have an interactive graphic which will tell you which water system you're on. And then we'll walk you through how to find out what the most recent water quality reports say. Find out about what your local water quality is. Find out about the problems with your local water system. What are their infrastructure problems? If there's a board that operates it, go to the board meetings. And then, you know, there, there are some other solutions. Like, we can be investing more money in programs that help poorer water systems pay for these upgrades. Like, PenVest is one example. But PenVest has similarly been underfunded, and they, over time, have not been able to fund as many water projects uh, in the last decade as they did when they were first created. Um, Find out what the problems are, get well-versed in it, and then activate. You know, reach out to these lawmakers, especially if, you're, if your senator or your representative is in any kind of leadership position. Don't just send a form letter. 
don't just leave a voicemail with their secretary. Go to their office. Send them a handwritten letter. When they have a community event, like an ice cream social, there you go. Go to that event, get your ice cream, and then talk Brian Cutler's ear off, <laughs> or whoever the lawmaker is. What, what a great reporting project, though, for communities because water, you know, like food, is something that touches everyone. So yeah. thanks for doing it. I mean, and I don't plan on this being the. Hopefully, it won't be the end of the conversation. I have gotten a lot of response, including from people in the DEP and the Wolf Administration. Nice. Um, but the, the real thing is, you know, we need to all be paying more attention to this. And, and you also need to be prepared. There are really only two ways to make sure that our water infrastructure is safe and that public health is protected. The only way you pay for that, realistically, it's either ratepayers the people who are customers of these systems paying more money for their water or its taxpayers paying more via a program like PenVest. Those are your only two options, really. We are all probably going to have to pay more for water if we want to make sure that we do not have public health crises across the state. All right. Well, on that note, I think that's a good place to leave it. But definitely look at Wallace's reporting. It's at penlive.com slash what? Water? No, no. Water.penlive.com. Water.penlive.com. And it it doesn't matter if you pronounce it water or water. water. (laughs) All right. Well, regardless, read that. He's done some really good reporting. And it's actually, it's very intuitive to just explore the entire layout of the site. Uh, so do that if you care about your water. Um, and on that note, uh, the podcast, I should say, is going on a little bit of a hiatus for the summer. Uh, but we'll be back in the fall when the legislature comes back and we'll be a little bit revamped. Uh, but much of it will stay the same. So keep on listening and look for those in your feed around September. Um, on that note, guys, thank you so much. Wallace McKelvey with Penn Live, Paula and Sam with the caucus and LMP. Have a great week. All right. Thanks, Katie. Thanks. Thank you.